So we're in the fourth chapter of the book of Ruth. We're covering verses 1 through 12 today. Caleb will finish up the fourth chapter and the book next week. Uh, and then we move into Advent. It's almost Christmas. Can you believe it? Naomi was right. When Naomi lost everything, that we read it in chapter 1, she was understandably devastated. She laid on God the responsibility for what had happened to her, but she didn't blame God. Rather, she accepted His sovereignty in her life. She resigned herself to a life of poverty, of begging, uh, and, but worst of all, she had no prospect for children or grandchildren to carry on the family name, which was very important in Israel. Caleb took us through chapters 2 and 3 of the book, and as we went through that, I think all of us, as well as certainly Naomi, began to see that God was doing something. God ordained Naomi's loss, but now God was ordaining something else. Ruth's chance, quote-unquote, encounter with Boaz started Naomi believing that God may be planning a redemption. And at that, after Naomi heard about Ruth's encounter with Boaz, you could say that Naomi plotted to take advantage of that encounter. Well, as we know, Naomi's plot worked, and as they say, the plot thickened. It was clear that Boaz cared for Ruth, and it was clear that he could be the redeemer for Naomi and Ruth. Some translations say that Boaz was the kinsman or family redeemer, indicating that he was both family and rescuer. Some versions say that Boaz was a guardian, implying that he was a sort of a protector for Naomi and Ruth. At least one version says that Boaz was, quote, the guardian redeemer, which I think is a most apt description, because Boaz himself, speaking to Ruth, said in chapter 3, Now, my dear, don't worry. I intend to do for you everything you propose. Boaz desired to act as protector and as redeemer. But there was an obstacle, as you know, that obstacle was this other fellow, this other redeemer, who was a closer relative to Naomi than Boaz was, and he had first right of refusal. That redeemer had the right, before Boaz, to redeem the land in Naomi. And as much as, as, much as Naomi had plotted to bring Ruth before Boaz, and by that to encourage him to become their redeemer, Boaz now makes his own plot to gain the right to be the guardian redeemer of Naomi and the land and of Ruth. I said that Naomi was right. She was right about two things. First, she knew that she knew Boaz, and she knew his character, and that he would act quickly. And he did. Naomi told Ruth uh, that Boaz would act right away, even that same day. Second, Naomi told Ruth to wait. Ruth said to Naomi, wait, my daughter. By the way, note that she's no longer daughter-in-law. She says, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Naomi was right about waiting. In both the Old Testament and New Testament, waiting is equated with trusting God. Boaz acted almost immediately. Which brings us to our passage today, a tale of two redeemers. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for <clears throat> redeeming us. And thank you for this uh, 
insight into redemption through the life of Ruth and Boaz and Naomi. And while it was a very good thing that uh, Naomi and the land and Ruth were redeemed, your purpose went far beyond that. It went all the way to Jesus Christ, who is our Redeemer. And we thank you for that. Open our hearts to see your Redeemer, our Redeemer today. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to look at the first Redeemer. We're going to then look at the second Redeemer. And then we're going to talk about the blessing that is spoken in this chapter. And then finally, we'll consider a third Redeemer. First Redeemer. Names often have significant meanings in Hebrew. Elimelech, the deceased husband of Naomi, means my God is king, which may reflect his devotion to God. Malon, son of Naomi, <clears throat> one son of Naomi, is related to a Hebrew word for illness, suggesting a reason for his untimely death. Chilion, Naomi's other son, means an end or annihilation, also in keeping with his untimely death. Wouldn't it be fun to have a name that means annihilation? <laughs> Boaz means quickness or perhaps strength, suggesting aspects of his character. Naomi means pleasant, but the name she wanted to be called after her loss, as you know, is Mara, or bitter. Ruth means friendship, pointing to her friendship with Naomi and with God. In our passage today, in this book that's filled with meaningful names, we're introduced to an important player in the story. This Redeemer who is first in line before Boaz, but has no name. Verses 1 and 2. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there, and behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down. And he uh, turned aside, and he sat down. And then he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. A lot of sitting going on. Uh, the ESV, I think, along with some other translations, is being kind here when it translates the Hebrew, actually two Hebrew words as friend. Words don't really mean friend. At best, they mean a certain one who is known but unidentified. Now, Boaz almost certainly knew the fellow's name. Bethlehem was a small town. But the narrator wants to communicate something else. The Hebrew suggests a translation like Mr. So-and-so. In one translation, Boaz says, Hiss it here, stranger. In another uh, translation, Boaz says, Come here, what's your name? but we will call him Mr. So-and-so. The narrator wants, to, narrator wants us to see that this man, while called a redeemer, ends up being no redeemer at all. He fails in his responsibility to Hebrew law and culture. This man, who wanted to preserve his inheritance and his legacy, we never hear from again. In contrast to Boaz, the narrator wants to show this unknown redeemer's name is not worth mentioning. Verses 3 and 4. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought we would, I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. The meaning of Boaz's name 
quickness here, I think, is demonstrated. This is the morning after Ruth slept at the feet of Boaz. Boaz has brought the town elders to, to the gate to conduct his business. The city gate is where legal transactions and matters of judgment were decided. Not only are the town elders called as witnesses, but the scene draws a crowd who will have a role later. Excavations show that a typical uh, city gate is built kind of like a plaza. It's, un it's an uncovered space, and along the walls there would often be stone benches. Plenty of room for a group of ten elders and a group of people and Boaz and Mr. So-and-so to conduct business. <clears throat> so Boaz makes the offer. Now our understanding of the property rights of women in ancient Israel is not certain. It may be that Naomi was not actually selling the land as an outright sale. She may not have had the right to sell the land that way. Rather, she may have been selling the right to use the land. Mr. So-and-so would, would purchase the, the right to use the land and to enjoy the profits from it until the land would revert back to Naomi. For example, at the year of Jubilee, which happened every 50 years in Israel. The sale or transfer of the land would presumably include the care of Naomi. So, Mr. So-and-so, he sees this as a good deal. You get to use the land and have the responsibility of taking care of Naomi, but he would reap the profits of planting crops on the land. It's likely that Naomi would have died before the next Jubilee year, and in that case, the land would be his, or it would have been passed down to his children. The purchase costs and the cost of caring for Naomi would be outweighed by the profits and the increase in the value of his holdings and the increase in his inheritance to his children. This was a good deal. And in addition, Mr. So-and-so would look good to the town, becoming Naomi's redeemer. Verses 5 and 6. Then Boaz said, uh, one more thing. <laughs> the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, uh, I cannot redeem it for myself unless I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. So Boaz brings this surprise on Mr. So-and-so that he must also, or actually in the purchase, acquire Ruth as part of the transaction. Along with the land and with taking care of Naomi, Mr. So-and-so must also marry Ruth, this former wife of Malon, the son of Elimelech, who originally owned the land. This marriage would be for the purpose of producing a male child to carry on the name of the family. So there were two issues at hand here. First, keeping the land in the family, and second, perpetuating the family name. The idea of continuing the family line like this goes all the way back to Genesis 38 with a fellow named Judah and a woman named Tamar, which we'll look at later. So at this, Mr. So-so refuses to redeem the land. His reason was that to marry Ruth would jeopardize his own inheritance. If Mr. So-and-so purchased the right to use the land and married Ruth and then produced a male child, according to the law, the land would revert to that child. In addition, the son of Ruth may have been entitled to inherit some of the land that Mr. So-and-so already owned. So further jeopardizing his inheritance. This was no longer a good deal. Financially, it was a bad deal. And to Mr. So-and-so, any reputation he would gain by redeeming was not worth the potential financial loss. Verses 7 and 8. 
Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the manner of the testing in Israel. So when the redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. The narrator informs his first readers, who would have read this decades after the events happened, of how transactions like this were completed. The passing of the sandal symbolized the right of Boaz to walk on this now redeemed land as his to use. The transaction was completed when Mr. So-and-so removed his sandal and gave it to Boaz. I can imagine Boaz uh, taking his sandal having a bronze put on a mantle in his house. <laughs> After this, we don't hear anything more about Mr. So-and-so, a redeemer who is no redeemer at all. <laughs> so we come to the second redeemer, Boaz, verses 9 and 10. Then Boaz said to the elders of all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belong to Elimelech, and all that belong to Chilion and to Malon, and also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have brought to be, I bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Naomi told Ruth to wait. Because Naomi knew Boaz, and I think she knew God. But she knew that Boaz would not rest until the matter was settled that very day. And Boaz, whose name means quickness and perhaps strength, both apply here, quickly settled the matter, purchasing Naomi's land, and at the same time, acquiring Ruth for his wife, as he said he would do. Boaz declares to the elders and to the people that the transaction is complete making this a formal, legal transaction. The land he would use, Ruth he would marry. And the language suggests that marrying Ruth was his primary goal. Purchasing the land was a prerequisite, a necessary step to accomplish what Boaz really wanted to do. Boaz's words were as much a declaration of marriage as they were a statement about a legal transaction. But it was not just marrying Ruth that was important. It was important to perpetuate the name of the family of Elimelech so that the family with line would not be lost in Israel and not lost to Bethlehem, where that family originated. In contrast to Mr. So-and-so, a contrast the narrator wants us to clearly see, Boaz was the redeemer. Mr. So-and-so would be known heretofore as the one who had his sandal pulled off. Deuteronomy 25, 7-10. And if the man does not wish to take his brother's wife, and his brother's wife shall go up to the gate to the elders and say, My husband's brother refuses to per perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of the city shall call him and speak to him. And if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull off his sandal and spit in his face. Nice. <laughs> And she will answer and say, So it shall be done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. And the name of his house shall be called in Israel, the house of him who had his sandal pulled off. Not a nice name. So, you probably know by now that uh, I like digging through Hebrew words and Greek words. In chapter 1 we talked about the Hebrew word shiv ba bet, which usually is translated return and all that that means. That word was significant, and it did require some digging. But in our passage now, the most significant word is 
I'm sure you've already noticed, is the word redeem. And it just about screams at us from the passage. The word typically translated redeem or redeemer is the Hebrew word goel. It's used 103 times in the Old Testament. Nearly 25% of that, 21 times, the word is used in the book of Ruth. And of that, 11 times, the word is used in our passage. Redemption is the key idea in the book of Ruth. That's the title of the series. That's especially important here in chapter 4. So let's look at Boaz, the Redeemer. <clears throat> Boaz was determined to get this done. He would have been content, as we learned earlier, if Mr. So-and-so had redeemed the land, but Boaz was determined enough to lay out his plan to redeem Naomi, the land in Ruth, so that it would be him, not Mr. So-and-so, that would do the redeeming. Boaz was willing to sacrifice his own wealth. The same potentially unpleasant economic circumstances that caused Mr. So-and-so to decline to redeem applied to Boaz as well. Yet he was committed to the redemption, despite the cost, and he was willing to sacrifice it. Thirdly, Boaz was willing to give himself up for Naomi and for Ruth. Boaz saw the great need of Naomi and Ruth. He saw the need that this land needed to be redeemed so that the family name would be perpetuated. For Boaz, it was worth giving himself up to accomplish that redemption. And then fourthly, Boaz was not concerned about jeopardizing his inheritance, which was a risk. Instead, though, he made the purchase. So Naomi, her land in Ruth, would become part of his inheritance. And now a blessing. And I titled this, The Crowd Goes Wild. <laughs> Verses 11 and 12. Then all the people who were at the gate and, uh, and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house, like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily, worthily in Ephrathah, and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, who Tamar born to Judah because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. The elders of the people that had gathered to watch how the redemption would turn out enthusiastically took on their role as witnesses. They didn't have to speak a blessing. They just could have said, yeah, we're witnesses. Okay, let's all go home and have lunch. <laughs> they were proud, though, that they were indeed witnesses, and not only witnesses, but they gave their hearty approval to the transaction in the form of a blessing. So there are three parts, I think, to this blessing. The first is the blessing for Ruth. The witnesses call on God to make Ruth like Rachel and Leah and that God used them to build up the nation of Israel. And I think that came true in ways that the people speaking the blessing could not have guessed. The second part of the blessing is for Boaz. The people call on God to bless Boaz to act worthily, or as in the Hebrew, to prosper Boaz based on his righteous living. These blessings look to increase his wealth. They look to increase his standing and reputation in the community and in the history of Israel. I expect the blessing of prosperity and fame for Boaz did come true in his lifetime. But after that, the fame of Boaz is set in his inclusion in the genealogy of Christ. And there's another reference to Boaz in the Old Testament. It is that a pillar in the temple that Solomon built was named after Boaz, perhaps reflecting his character of strength. The third part of the blessing is similar to the first, but it's for the family 
or the house of Boaz. The blessing is that the house of Boaz would be like that of Perez, who was born to Tamar. This blessing is like the first part of the blessing in that many children and descendants would come from the family of Boaz. And again, when the people spoke that blessing, I'm not sure they realized how true that blessing would come. Now, there is some irony in this blessing. Rachel and Leah became wives of Jacob, who was the father of the twelve tribes of Israel. They became wives of Jacob through uh, much less than righteous circumstances. Jacob, as you know, was a deceiver. But he was deceived by Laban, the father of Rachel and Leah. And then Jacob deceived Laban. Jacob favored Rachel over Leah. And Rachel and Leah really disliked each other, mostly because of the way Jacob favored Rachel. What is more, Leah, especially Rachel, were idol worshippers. That was a mess. Moreover, the birth of Perez was a result of an illicit relationship between Judah and this woman Tamar, who Judah acquired for his son Ur to marry. Ur died, and the next son of Judah failed in his duty to Tamar, and he died. And then Judah promised his third son to Tamar when he grew up, but Judah lied. Judah kept Tamar unmarried and childless. Without a prospect for a husband or children, Tamar conspired to gain a child by posing as a prostitute, deceiving Judah, who then became the father of Tamar's child, Perez. It's another mess. <clears throat> the blessings by the people for Boaz and Ruth were meant well, certainly, but they highlight much that went wrong in their ancestry, and wrong because of the sin who became part of the line of Christ, which is a bit of an odd thing to consider. But the blessing, I think, in part was intended to be a kind of reversal of the unrighteous dealings of people like Jacob and Leah and Rachel and Judah and Tamar, as compared to the righteous dealings of Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. <clears throat> but the most, part of the most important part of the blessing, the witnesses called on Yahweh to bless Ruth and called on Yahweh to bring children and descendants to the house of Boaz. The witnesses recognized that God is the one who's working. And they recognized that God worked through their unrighteous ancestors to accomplish his purposes. And now, they're trusting God to bring blessing on Boaz and Ruth, far more righteous people, to enlarge the house of Boaz and of the nation. God is the one who works to accomplish his will and his plan. And he does it through people who are sinners and even people who are great sinners. The redemption of Naomi and Ruth and the land and the descendants that would come from the house of Boaz, all God's doing. He arranged it. He ordained it. <coughs> God uses the flawed and the sinful, the unrighteous, and even uses his enemies, which we all were, by the way, before we became Christ, uh, believed in Christ. He uses all of that to accomplish his work, ultimately bringing the offer of salvation to all who would accept it. <coughs> And then the third Redeemer, Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Caleb last week um, graced us with his uh, preferences in movies. <laughs> uh, he talked about how, he, which we all know, how he loves Lord of the Rings movies. Uh, but he also talked about how he likes uh, romantic comedies, rom-coms. And he even uh, opened up and, and, and told us that he would cry at rom-coms and kind of enjoys the, the, the tears. 
And uh, I'm really glad you shared all that. Um, but it got me to thinking about the movies that I like. Now, I watch romantic comedies with my wife. She enjoys them. I tolerate them. <clears throat> but I like action movies. And uh, in particular, I like uh, James Bond movies. I like the cars he drives. I mean, what can I say? <laughs> um, but I have to admit here, uh, in public, that uh, the last movie, James Bond movie, No Time to Die, James Bond died. And I cried. That was embarrassing. <laughs> but I also like comedies. There's one comedy uh, I like that was made a few years ago called uh, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. <laughs> so you know the story, apparently. Ferris is a high school student. He's a senior in high school. And he's getting ready to graduate. He's been a rogue for his high school career. And uh, Mr. Rooney, the principal of the school, just wants to get Ferris. And so Ferris decides to take a day off from school and to go around the city join the city with a couple of his friends. And he, Mr. Rooney, believes that now he can catch Ferris and uh, keep him from graduating. Mr. Rooney's talking with the secretary, Grace, at the school about all this. And Grace uh, replies to Mr. Rooney, talking about Ferris. She says, they all adore him, meaning the students in the school. They all adore him. They think he's a righteous dude. <laughs> Boaz was a righteous dude. <laughs> but while Boaz is someone we may like to emulate, it's more important to look at what Boaz represents for us. Boaz, the Redeemer, points to the better, the perfect Redeemer, Jesus Christ. So we looked at Boaz as the Redeemer. Let's look at Jesus Christ as our Redeemer. While Boaz was determined, Jesus was resolute. Luke 9.51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That phrase, he set his face, is a Greek idiom, meaning that Jesus was determined and resolute to do this. He knew what was coming. He knew he would be arrested. He knew he would be tried in, in three uh, illegal trials. He knew he would be mocked. He knew he would be beaten. He knew he would have a crown of thorns pressed into his skull. He knew that he would get flogged, whipped, so much so that the skin would be ripped from his back and even the muscles would be torn up. He knew he would die on the cross, for hours on the cross in agony. But he set his face to do that. He was resolute to do that. <clears throat> Secondly, Boaz was willing to sacrifice to bring the redemption of Naomi and Ruth, but Jesus sacrificed everything. Philippians 2, 5-7 through Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus, in eternity past, was in perfect Holy communion with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. They were in glory. Who would leave that? Jesus did. He gave that up. 
and sacrifice that so that he could save you and me. Boaz gave himself up to redeem Naomi and Ruth. Now, Boaz didn't die for Ruth, but Jesus died for us. That's how he gave himself up. <clears throat> the next verse in Philippians 2 8. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. <clears throat> Jesus truly gave himself up for us. And then fourth, Boaz was not concerned about holding on to his inheritance to purchase the redemption of Naomi and Ruth. Jesus purchased us. Revelation 5.9, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take, up, take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your word you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And then speaking of the inheritance, 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through a faith that for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. <clears throat> you know, if we went to Bethlehem today, I, I expect that we couldn't find the land that Boaz redeemed. I don't think there's a sign there. This is Boaz's land. It's lost to history. <clears throat> but the inheritance that we are given and will be given is imperishable. It is undefiled and it is unfading, just waiting for us in heaven. And the uh, we already have a down payment for the inheritance. It's the Holy Spirit who God gave us. Boaz reflects reflects Christ in his pursuit of Ruth. One of my favorite quotes from C.S. Lewis is when he called God the hound of heaven. Now, that's not original with Lewis, but he was using that phrase to point God to God's unrelenting pursuit of him until, Lewis says, he came kicking and screaming into the kingdom. <clears throat> Romans 5, 6 through 11. For while we were still weak, <clears throat> at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare to die. But God shows his love for us that while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we are enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Jesus Christ did all those things knowing who we were and knowing the sins we would commit. Knowing that we are enemies of him, and yet he did it anyway. He pursued us. And on this thought, in his book, Why I'm a Christian, John Stott wrote this, Why I'm a Christian is due, ultimately, neither to the influence of my parents and teachers, nor to my own personal decision for Christ, but to the hound of heaven. That is, it is due to Jesus Christ himself, who pursued me relentlessly, even when I was running away from him, in order to go my own way. And if it were not for the gracious pursuit of the hound of heaven, I would today be on the scrap heap of wasted and discarded life. I think all of us could call God the hound of heaven. In referring to the story of Ruth, 
Gail will finish next week. Commentator G.A.F. Knight said this, What reading did the author put on this act of redemption by Boaz? Did he realize that if a mere man, a creature of God, could behave in the manner described, and had indeed by his action exhibited the power to redeem an outcast, and bring her into fellowship with the living God, then two things could be said of the creator of Boaz. One, God must feel at least as compassionate towards all the roots of Moab and of Babylon and of every other land his creature Boaz felt towards Ruth. Two, God must actually be a God of redemption, with the desire and the power to redeem all outcasts and to fellowship with himself. We've already said that God accomplished this redemption through Jesus Christ using unrighteous people. And as righteous as Boaz and Ruth were, they were still sinners. Yet God used them to further the line that would produce the Messiah. God will accomplish all his righteous purposes. He will do that for us and through us by using us, us flawed, sinful unrighteous, and because of Christ, redeemed people. Let's pray. Father, thank you for redeeming us. <coughs> Jesus, thank you for sacrificing everything and giving yourself up. Thank you for being so determined to redeem us that you resolutely went to die. Thank you for the redemption that you have given us. And thank you, Father, that you use us, even though we're flawed, even though we're sinners, you still use us. And you use us, even us, Father, to tell other people about the redemption that God offers to Jesus. Thank you for being